This is Mission.org. Like anything on TV, radio, the newspaper, if the content is good and it commands your attention and there's the right value exchange from it, you'll retain that information. So I don't think there's any shortcut. It still has to be good. It's not just like, oh, great, we'll do AR and therefore everything's going to be success. It's like, no, no, no. Again, what you deliver has to be right. Augmented reality is becoming a very real reality for marketers in every industry. So what do you need to know to successfully play in this space of spatial storytelling, as today's guest likes to call it? Joining me on the mic today is Casper Tikier, the co-founder and CEO of Zapper, an AR platform and creative studio rolled into one. Casper shares his tips and tricks, including how to create experiences worth remembering, what metrics really matter when measuring an AR campaign, and what to keep in mind when incorporating AR into your marketing strategy. I'm your host, Jeremy Bergeron, and you're listening to Marketing Trends. Now let's get into it. Super stoked to to talk with you, um, Casper. I love the space that you're in. I, I mean, super exciting space to be in. And I love the intersection that you're in inside of this kind of XR transformation that's happening. My personal opinion is I think you are poised really well for even more momentum. I had a lot of fun on your website today, looking at all the cool kind of case studies and the cool stuff you're working on. In fact, I even was messing with some on my phone and doing some stuff in the office and pulling things up. So I'm just bullish and a tech nerd on the things you're up to and just excited that you're here. We'll start off by doing kind of some fun lightning round questions and kind of get to know you a little bit and, and get your thoughts on that. And then we'll dive in and and talk as much as we can. And um, I'm just excited to have you. So thank you for being here. Oh, no, thank you. That's exciting. Lightning round. That's the one that I'm most scared of. Okay. <laughs> okay, here we go. So before I, I get into lightning round, I just want to mention for our listeners that this this podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. When you think about the world's number one CRM, we think marketing and engagement. If you want to learn more, head over to salesforce.com forward slash marketing. Lightning round. Here we go. We've got Casper Tikier from Zapar. Is it pronounced Zapar? Is that right? It is in America. <laughs> and the rest of the world is Zapper. <laughs> Zapper. Yes. Okay, great. We got Zapper. Let's let's do it. Let's do it that way. Um, okay. So first question: What are you betting on for the future? Oh wow, that's a lightning round question. <laughs> I'm certainly still betting on uh, the importance of spatial storytelling. I would say in terms of its ability to really immerse people uh, and create experiences where they're sort of active learning through doing. Uh, and I think that is an incredibly sort of rich area that we've only just scratched the surface of um, and certainly excited about for the years to come. Awesome. If you have to build a marketing team from scratch, what role are you hiring first and why? 
Gosh, I mean, the, the role of marketing just has changed so much. I mean, you, you really, I mean, it's a terrible oxymoron, but you need uh, generalist specialists um, nowadays. I don't think it's all about uh, any more sort of marketing textbook stuff, actually. I think you need to have an ability to think at the speed of culture, which is a very hard thing to do. You have to have a very kind of broad understanding of the entirety of the media landscape and also now understand what that feels like both through mobile devices and indeed headsets and try and think forward to, you know, back the right potential horses in the new metaverse race. Um, So I do think you need someone who sort of feels Culturally attuned is incredibly actually good at both listening and hearing, which are two very different skills, um, and has some pretty astute emotional kind of EQ as well, because there are so many people that you need to bring on the journey nowadays in order to deliver really effective marketing. So I think it's a a really exciting time, but I think you need some broad shoulders and a broad set of skills. I love that answer. That's fantastic. What are your thoughts on this whole Elon Musk attempting at joining the Twitter's board of directors? What do you think about that? I just love being on the outside of everything that Elon <laughs> Musk does or doesn't do. <laughs> right, right. I'm fascinated by him and 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 what he's up to. And um, but you know, do I have a point of view on it? No, because I don't. I think it's so hard to know exactly what's going on. I mean that that is the yeah. great problem of our day is. What's the truth behind it all? <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. I, I must confess to not being someone who actually um, is on Twitter. So I also don't feel as if I can really speak too too much of that particular point. But it is absolutely great. Sort of, it's like it's just like watching live TV, isn't it? You know. Um. <laughs> Indeed, I agree with you. He just seems to everything he does or doesn't do is is interesting, and he's definitely getting a lot of a lot of eyeballs and ears these days. Yeah. So I, I agree there. Next question, Wendy's and Chipotle, along with a a growing number of companies, are now exploring the potential of virtual worlds. Mm. What do you make of this? What does Wendy's taste like in a virtual world? (laughs) Great question. My company previous to um, Zappa was called V-Me, Make Me Virtual, um, which seemed very prescient given that that was quite some time ago. Um, And and actually, we, we ran a studio that created virtual worlds and content for brands inside PlayStation Home. So this was sort of around 2000 and sort of five to nine or 10, I want to say. Wow. And we did loads of work for Audi. We ran virtual clothing stores of our own, um, but ones for diesel and, and others. And it was a fascinating experiment to see where we are now. And indeed, we also had a park in there, which we called Acorn Meadows, where then avatars would go and hang out. And indeed, you could buy virtual coffees or a, you know, a virtual hot dog. In a way, it doesn't surprise me that we're back here again. And, and certainly thinking about what we were trying to do with Audi uh, within PlayStation Home was more about how do we sort of explore the values that make up the Audi brand, but in a virtual setting where you, know, you can mm. explore dimensions in a different way. So I, I think it's interesting for those brands that might want to talk about their their purpose, what they stand for, do that storytelling in a different virtual sense. Hmm. That's a great question. <laughs> We're going to invite Wendy's CMO on our on our podcast and we'll we'll ask him great. Uh, directly thoughts on, thoughts on that. So 
Um, next question. What is something that impresses you? Oh, what is something that impresses me? Um, uh, well, I'd say actually uh, having the courage of your convictions mm. in a world where seemingly the truth has got lost is being able to speak the truth and rely on facts. Those are the things that and it sounds like that shouldn't be impressive at all, but I think that tells you where we are. <laughs> Indeed. That's a, that, is a, that is a great answer. I love that. If you could effortlessly pick up a skill in an instant, what would it be? <laughs> God, these are really good questions. Uh, a skill in an instant. What? Oh, surfing. Oh, I so wish I could surf. That's a great one. I've tried. I'm not very good at it. And, uh, but when I look at it, and it just feels like that must be the most momentous feeling. And that if you can do it, I think you'd see life differently. Mm. I, I, I personally love that one. I, I've only surfed one time in my life. I was in South Africa. It literally, Casper, took me a month to stand up on the board the first time. Wow, amazing. Like literally, I mean, it, it was a crazy, yeah. <laughs> and I remember it was actually night surfing and I was oh, wow. surfing at night and it was crazy and no one could see me standing up, but I stood up and I was like, this is great. I could do but this. I, every day I went out there and just tried to, no lessons, just I, I bought a wetsuit, I bought a board, trying to paddle out there and getting thrashed for oh. weeks, two, three weeks, and then finally, Stood up. So I love your your skill choice in surfing. I think that's, that's a good one. Where were you in South Africa out of interest? Because that is also, you know. That time I was in Musenberg, which is South Africa. I know it very well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you really? Yeah. Funnily enough, I'd spent, um, I had a year off there and we were in South Africa and we spent time in Musenberg. <laughs> that's awesome. That's a small world. I like that. Okay. Now this is legitimately the last question, Casper, of the lightning round. What is one thing you'd like to do this year that you've never done before? From a business perspective, we have, and I'm sure we'll talk about it later, we have our Zap Box to launch. Uh, and that is something we've never done before. We've never launched a hardware product. And I'm super excited about that because it's been many, many years in the making. Okay. I like it. Okay, cool. All right. So thanks for that. Just out of the gate for our audience, Will you describe Zapper and, and what you do there? Zapper's focus is on helping democratize augmented reality. Um, and that's for developers and for brands uh, and for businesses alike um, in order to capture value from this sort of facilitating technology. Basically, what we do is we look to help an organization develop a, a camera capability, really, um, so they can build solutions through spatial storytelling for whatever their requirement is. So, so that could be internal training. It could be sales enablement. It might be part of a connected packaging strategy or, or of course, external marketing. In your LinkedIn bio, you use that term spatial storytelling in place of augmented reality. And I, I actually, I love this phrasing. Can you, can you tell me more about how you think about AR and its role in storytelling today? Yeah, sure. Well, I think it sort of comes back actually to this, a bit of a simple principle that, that actually no one really cares about the technology. <laughs> you know, they really care about um, the benefit it delivers. And, uh, and I guess the, the best example of that is it's like generating light in a, in a dark room. You know, I, I don't really care how the light switch or the light bulb works. 
but I am more interested in the ambience that that light gives off. With AR, of course, we've got to get the tech to work and it's got to you know, almost be seamless, but ultimately it's how we tell and deliver compelling stories when seen through a lens and in a user's environment that matters. And, and it turns out actually that's really quite hard to do well, um, as there are so many unknowns based on the, the context of where someone is with their device and what's going on around them, how we control that environment in terms of the sound and lights and time of day. And, um, uh, you know, so all the things that bite against someone having a good experience. All of that, you know, it's, it's a different way of thinking about narrative in, in 4D in a different context that you're trying to control for different individuals. So it's quite an exciting and, and evolving space, really. Mm. And to just give our audience a taste here, what type of customers do you work with? I mean, we can dive into the details of, of some of the campaigns throughout the convo, but just high level, what are some examples of the work Zapper has done? We're in our 11th year now, so it's quite a roll call. But, you know, it's everyone from, um, I guess, uh, in, in licensing entertainment, sort of Rovio and Warner Brothers and Universal Studios and Hasbro through to Shazam and 7-Eleven, uh, work with the Minnesota Vikings, Nestle and Unilever, Kings Hawaiian, Puma, TD Bank, uh, H&M, Disney, Legoland. I mean, it's a long list, really. Wow. It does tend to break down into certain sectors. So we do tend to do quite a bit of work in, in retail, consumer packaging, sort of uh, entertainment broadly. And then there's also sort of some sort of core comms in, in when you get into some of the banking and other sectors. And I guess it's just back to that point that, you know, when you, when you think about it as really uh, sort of storytelling, it's what could any brand or business look or feel like to whoever their end user is through a lens. And that could be an end customer, but it could be your internal staff. Um, it could be your sales team speaking to you know, um, other business leaders. So it has quite a, a broad set of applications. So I got to know, wh where was this moment for you where you were the aha moment around democratizing AR and VR for the, for the world? What what's happening in your life at this time for you to you know embark on this really cool and very timely journey that you've been on for the past decade plus? I think so much in sort of professional life comes to hard work, luck, and timing. Really, I was talking about um, Vimi, the firm that I was involved in prior to Zappa, and and myself and Kirk Ewing, who is a, a principal of that and also a non-exec of Zappa. We were in the crazy world of of VR and you know virtual goods. And so this was around sort of 2009. And, you know, I guess AR was beginning to come onto our radar, uh, especially as it was beginning to move from something that was sort of desktop bound to something that could be used on mobile. And we were just very fortunate to end up in a chance meeting with Simon and Connell, the other two founders of, of Zappa, uh, both from the University of Cambridge. Again, we just ended up in this, in this meeting where they were showing what they had already achieved on really early devices. And it was just mind-blowing. It wasn't a great leap to go from, oh, we're selling virtual apparel and virtual coffees and all this sort of virtual stuff to go, actually, what might that look like with a camera in the background and the appeal of that and the idea of being able to place things in the real world. And having seen what Simon Connell had already achieved, and, we, and we'd looked around and there wasn't a much of it around and any of the universities we talked about it, it was, you know, many years projects and quite large sums to get anything sort of reasonable, which they'd already cracked. So that was the aha moment. There was a point where you go, wow, 
these two incredible people have already cracked this. <laughs> uh, hopefully they'll let us in to uh, see how we can form this into more of a sort of commercial enterprise, which thankfully they did. They saw some merit in, in the backgrounds that, that Kirk and I had from uh, both gaming and licensing and marketing and business, I guess. The thought on democratization, I guess, uh, is one that sometimes I kick myself for because it's uh, such a ridiculously huge endeavor. And I think it's one that everyone talks a lot to now. And it's quite an, e quite an easy thing to say. It's a really, really hard thing to do. And I don't think it's something you do alone. I mean, I think that's the thing. You know, I, I think what we try at Zappa a lot to do is go, it's such a huge opportunity. We're not trying to own it all. But if we can help more companies and businesses you know, understand the potential there's loads of room for us all to sort of play in that space. But to truly deliver democratization, you need both breadth and depth of tooling and of platform and of solution. And that's quite a burden to take on as a, as a small business. But I think we always thought that the idea of it, the notion of it, the fact that it wasn't going to be one app to rule them all, the fact that this was about facilitating technology to benefit many, was going to be a marathon rather than a sprint. And I think really, you know, we talk a lot about this last 10 years being foundation building. You know, we've been lucky to be joined by amazing companies like Snap um, and Niantic and indeed, you know, Facebook and others who have really kind of progressed the tooling and the understanding of what AR can do. And so we're in, in an exciting space right now. So it's uh, now it's just about keeping up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I also think about the, you know, the, the the industries, you know, where I could see some industries being very bullish on this on this technology and using this spatial storytelling in their marketing strategies, and other industries maybe slower to the to the table and and coming along. So, how do you kind of how do you look at the scope of like you could leverage this technology inside of every industry? I feel like B two B, B two C. There's all kinds of applications, but how do you kind of view this? really big ecosystem of all these different industries. And yeah, yeah. are you focusing going that wide and deep in each of them? Are you focusing on, hey, we're really good at these two, three, let's go deep there? Because mm. I could see a move for, on both hands, but yeah. what are your thoughts there? I guess there's two ways of answering that question. Uh, the first is, is probably to explain that with, within Zappa, we have three different business units, if you like. Um, so, so we have an internal creative studio, very sort of agency set up in structure. So strategic consultancy, you know, concepting through to, you know, execution of AR experiences. Because, and the reason we had that is when we started 10, 11 years ago, there weren't many, you know, people who could do it. So we kind of had to help create those experiences. But at the center, we, we have then Works, which is our content authoring and publishing platform. So again, 10 years ago, there weren't many that could really uh, describe how to make AR experiences on mobile particularly well so we built our own and so that's now what our studio uses but we also allow anyone to use um, and we have a low no code tool all the way up to a very professional tool and then the third business unit is called Zapbox, which i guess we'll come on to talk about but is our look at how you democratize mixed reality and then you know, create the world's most affordable six doff um, mixed reality headset and having those different elements provide us that sort of breadth and depth in terms of how someone might want to think about using AR dependent on what their need is. There's one thing I've learned, not only through, through Zappa, but through all my career in advertising, marketing, and the rest of it is people tend to get fixated about brands, but actually you need to concentrate on people. It's the people that make 
things happen, not the brands or the business necessarily. The culture of an organization definitely helps because the thing about AR, I always describe it as the the minister without portfolio of, of technologies. It's something that could be used by every department, but doesn't necessarily land in any single one. And then it's always, okay, well, who is the owner of this technology? And therefore, whose budget does it sit under? And actually, you then need to involve the marketing team, the digital team, you know, IT. There's so many different parts of the organization that can take advantage of it. But sometimes what gets happens is people confuse activity with progress and talk about it a lot, but don't do very much. So it needs that classic pirate inside that champion who has the vision and the understanding bring the organization with it and and we've been lucky enough to work with brands like nestle who did that who organized themselves incredibly well um you know had a a, a sort of immersive technology division for uh, globally and and you know had some brilliant people in there who really embraced how to hothouse it and get it to the rest of the organization 7-eleven similarly were fantastic and you know a, a couple of people who just came in and went totally see how a camera capability can change the way we think about loyalty rewards everyone get behind this we're doing it um so so i think you know a a lot of it actually is is about um you know finding the, the right individual who sees the opportunity and who can bring other stakeholders with them yeah, that's amazing. I mean, the, these these AR, you know, VR experiences, they really leave like a lasting mark in our brains in a way that other marketing experiences don't seem to do that. I know, I mean, there's so many we could talk about, but one that I remember recently was there's a a, a type of wine called 19, crimes. I think it's called 19 Crimes. Yeah. yeah. So, we, you know, we, they sell this wine here locally in Austin. Shout out to 19 Crimes. Yeah. Well, you know, and we, we didn't realize who they were really, but they have these couple of wines with these yeah. kind of um, these labels you can scan with your phone and they come to life. And and it's such an, I mean, I always think when we go down the wine aisle and we're shopping for wine, I haven't interacted with any other wine in that way. Like no other wine has, has done that. I'm sure there are others doing it, but again, it sticks out. It sticks right. out really in, in a major way. How are kind of you and your team and your partners thinking about creating these lasting experiences like now in 2022 or are you what sorts of ingredients do you want to make sure yeah these experiences have so they have that kind of that high engagement and high return well first of all I, I, you know I, you're, you're right I mean definitely a big shout out to the, the team at 90 crimes so I, th- I think what they did which is so right and so many others fail to do is they thought about the use of the camera and the role of AR right up front. It was ingrained into the product and all the decisions about its design and how it was marketed. It wasn't a get to the end of the process and go, oh, let's do some AR stuff now. And that's often what happens is that the AR bit, (laughs) if you like, becomes that kind of afterthought of, oh, let's do something clever with technology, as opposed to going, no, let's build it into the heart of our product, our messaging, our story, our purpose. So I think that's brilliant. I think the other thing to say, though, is it's certainly through research that we've done, and there's been plenty other done since. When you do look at the neuroscience of, of AR, two things that really stand out from, from that sort of research is that uh, AR tends to double the level of visual attention from the use of other um, media. And it also increases the ability for memory encoding and memory recall by about 75%. Wow. I can only put that down to, you know, because I'm no scientist, to going, that is just about active learning through doing. 
There is something about seeing stuff in AR and the fact that, you know, it's not passive, it is active, you are engaged, and you are part of that decision tree journey in the way that the UX and UI is built, if it's built well, that means that, of course, it's going to be a bit more attention grabbing and immersive. And, and it's no surprise then that the average dwell time that comes from AR experiences is so much longer than other digital media and the bounce rates are lower and the level of conversion through to sales is higher because you're providing something that is more one-to-one in that moment when done right. And therefore is producing some sort of level of information or inspiration or incentivization for people that they're more likely to be involved in. It's great to see more of these case studies coming through and more of this research and more of these findings. It feels like something that we've known for a while, but it's becoming more prevalent. Now, there is the question of, well, won't everyone get a bit bored of it? And certainly, do I want to do AR of absolutely everything all the time? No, because, uh, <laughs> right. you know, frankly, I want to be getting on with my life. <laughs> right. So, you know, could we, could we become a bit numb to that over time? Maybe. Like anything on, on TV, radio, the newspaper, if the content is good and it commands your attention and there's the right value exchange from it, you'll retain that information. So I, I don't think there's any shortcut. It still has to be good. It's not just like, oh, great, we'll do AR and therefore everything's going to be success. It's like, no, no, no. Mm. Again, what you deliver has to be right. Mm, that's great. Okay, so playing a little bit of devil's advocate here, do you think there are any audience limitations to this type of marketing? Like, is it just for the younger crowd or their brands or customers that, you know, maybe AR is, it wouldn't be the right tool to add to their marketing mix? I would definitely say you never, ever start with, I want to do some AR. <laughs> you know, you've got to start with <laughs> what is the, either the, the, the challenge you've got, the problem you're trying to solve or the, the solution you're going for. I mean, much like anything else. If, I think if you, if, if you start with AR and try and crowbar it into using that technology, you've you started from the wrong place. Again, when done well, you know, so people often do ask, you know, well, what demographic or audience does it work particularly well to? And, and I tend to go, well, anyone who knows how to use a mobile phone. Now we're at the point where it can be delivered through the web. And the way that you get to that execution is through scanning a QR code, which is thank you, pandemic, for making that a completely ubiquitous. Yep. If you, again, have made the experience well, it doesn't matter whether you're, you know, six, seven, eight or 70 or 80. As long as you understand the fundamentals of using your smartphone, then it's up to good design to make it work for you. It shouldn't be about the technology again. It's all about the end benefit. That said, we've had some ridiculous requests over the years for you know people going, can we put AR on underwear or socks? And you're like... What? <laughs> you know, so, uh, you know, or actually, we'd love to put it on duvet covers for kids. And you're like, you know, as a parent, do you really want to be at, with a phone when a child's going to bed and defamate? There's so many things that you just go, hang on, you know, someone's just gone, ah, we need to do some AR. Of all the different things that we could be doing, does that provide a better solution than what else is already out there? Mm -hmm. That's good. I'd love to dive into. What kind of metrics are brands using to measure success of these campaigns? What are kind of some of the core like table stakes metrics that you know are being used often these days? Obviously, what, one of the fantastic things about any AR activations is the data that you can get from it. Now, obviously, that has to be GDPR compliant and there's lots of other things to sort of think about. But ostensibly, 
there's a battery of data that you can get. The ones that are of interest tend to be total number of users, you know, how many people, how many users are, are, are sort of scanning, what their dwell time and session time is, because that's really a, a, a proxy for sort of positive engagement and immersion. And the amazing thing about AR is, you know, that tends to be about 75 seconds plus, which is unheard of when you think about, you know, kind of normal sort of digital deployments. Sales conversion is another one is, you know, how, how have we taken people down the funnel? Now, obviously that measurement depends on not only data that we can see, but, you know, fused with data that the brand has. And then there's some interesting stuff about sort of just day part, you know, when are people scanning um, and, and, you know, also where, because that can inform other media sort of flighting and, and spend. I think one of the things that's missing at the moment actually is that there isn't really a media metric for the value of AR campaigns. And I, that is something that I know is mm. being worked on by, by many people. But I think when you do look at it and when you think about the actual amount of time that people are spending in a positive, active brand engagement, it's really sort of off the charts what AR delivers versus a lot of other potential media. Mm. So, so you mostly play in the AR world, correct? Exclusively, I would say. <laughs> what are your thoughts, plans, vision for VR? Uh, well, I guess that's where we get to the Zapbox conversation. Let's do it. I have really enjoyed the whole trajectory of AR, VR debate over the last 10 years because there was a first mm. period where you couldn't go to a conference or event back in the days when everyone could travel and do those things. And you'd always get AR and VR almost pitted on stage against each other sure. in this sort of celebrity death match yep. of who's going to win? <laughs> which always seemed perverse to me because AR and VR do such different things and are both equally valid uh, in terms of their application and what they can deliver. But they're just very, very different experiences for diff very different things. Where it sort of comes together for me is uh, when I think about something like Zapbox. I guess the journey on Zapbox was back around 2015 or so when Microsoft HoloLens and indeed Magic Leap sort of were beginning to come out and you know, HD5, these incredible pieces of hardware but also incredibly expensive, we're, we're, we're hitting the market. And Google did that wonderful piece, you know, with Google Cardboard that just sort of went, well, you know, you can kind of get a similar kind of experience with this thing for two bucks. And we sort of loved that sort of disruptive approach. And it did make us think, and we you know, say it often, but, you know, internally we had this mantra of how do we make magic leap, magic cheap? And probably magic affordable is a better phrase, but let's go with cheap because it rhymes. <laughs> and, and so this, this notion of trying to create, um, you know, take the power of existing mobile devices, but use it in a way to build mixed reality experiences or begin to build a headset that could actually do both. It could do quite compelling VR, but also mixed reality using video pass through. So we can sort of really position content in an environment well. Zapbox has sort of been an, an evolutionary journey into something that we're launching towards the end of this year um, and just sort of hit, press the button on in terms of mass production of a headset that allows you to have peripheral vision, but within which you, you, know, you can insert your phone into a tray, can have two Bluetooth controllers with the same inputs as an, an Oculus Quest that allows you either then to have these very immersive mixed reality experiences, but also use it for VR. And actually, we never really set out to make it a VR headset. But there's actually what we found is that opening up 
the sides of the device and still being able to show kind of content in that um, sort of VR360 works incredibly well. Now, clearly, if you want to play something that is very immersive and shut off, it's not, you know, it's, it's again, depends what the content is. But that was really interesting to us. And with all the talk of the metaverse and with all the talk of, you know, moving towards more immersive ways of interacting with brands, our kind of hope and ambition really is that that device becomes a, a real gateway for the mass market into experiencing what the metaverse could be. It's a weird looking thing, by the way. You're not going to be walking outside with it anytime soon. But for a, you know, an at-home experience to have, well, and indeed in, in the workplace, to be able to affordably and quickly and collaboratively use a Zapbox, I think will be a really exciting prospect. Is this the same, the mixed reality kit that was on sale for like 30 bucks? Like this is, is this different? So the first one um, that we did was a, was a cardboard version that was 30 bucks. But now we've made a proper kind of consumer product. Price point to be decided, but it'll be somewhere in that sort of 60 to 80 bucks range. Okay. So it's still really, really affordable. I mean, the way I think about it is, especially as an iPhone, you know, I've, I've spent a lot of money on my iPhone. I've now got to spend not very much to make this incredibly powerful computer into a really, really good mixed reality uh, headset. And so for, for 80 bucks, I would certainly give it a go. Uh, so yeah, we're really excited about that. We're going to cool. have some of the product out at AWE in June, if anyone's attending that. But we're looking towards October um, for the, for the um, proper consumer launch. Nice. So last question, take us kind of into the future. Take us the next, you know, three, four, five years. What does this, what does this space look like? Yeah. What do you envision happening uh, <laughs> in this amazing space that you're in? If there's one thing I've learned is be, beware predictions. <laughs> and definitely in our space, and, and it comes back to that, that mantra of ours of, of, you know, it really being a marathon rather than a sprint. Mm. Everything that you think is going to happen, just double the time frame. I would say. And I think there's two things at play there. One is that we have an absolute fascination with the future rather than living in the present. Any of the, you know, and partly the way that kind of uh, GDC and all these cycles work, it's like, what's next? What's next? What's coming? What's the cool new video? And in a way, it prevents us from making the best use of what can be done now. And I think it's extraordinary, the technology that can be done now, and indeed could have been done 10 years ago that people still haven't done. <laughs> it's a bit like if you look at some brands' uh, websites or mobile websites, they still look, I mean, they're awful. Um, and yet they could be amazing if they spent time there, but everyone's so always sort of forward looking into what comes next. What we've stepped into is a similar situation we had 10 years ago with AR, which is a huge interest, but massive confusion. And so where we are now, now that sort of the metaverse genie is out the bottle, is huge interest and huge confusion. What I hope will happen over the next five-year period is that we'll begin to understand that there is a separation between the elements of the metaverse that are about creating deeper immersive experience for brands and businesses and end users that will be driven by AR and VR and, and headsets and how that can work. 
there's a whole then separate group of fascinating technologies that underpin that around crypto and blockchain and NFTs and you know 5G and CloudXR and all that sort of stuff. Great. And one day these will all come together and build some beautiful thing. But I think it is further out than we think. Mm. If in the next three to four years, five-year time horizon, we can make good advances in making the hardware more accessible and more affordable to people and making it work mm -hmm. well. <laughs> right. In order for it to be something that isn't one and done, I'd be interested to know what the average usage of a lot of these headsets are. Sure. Was the MAU look like on some of, some of these things? So I, I think there's just a lot still to get right. I think it's super exciting. I'm delighted that there's so much, you know, kind of emphasis, time, money, people looking at it. But but I I would mm -hmm. I sort of think you know, maybe maybe I'm getting old, but I I think encourage kind of a little moment to pause <laughs> uh, uh, and uh, rather than rush so that we we don't suffer some of the missteps that we've had before of oh it doesn't work oh it's not really interesting i mean the, the best one for me is you know thinking about 5g i mean how long have we been hearing about how 5g is going to change all our lives i can't even make a phone call in this office <laughs> If I could get the 3G, I would be happy. <laughs> um, uh, so good I, you know, I, it, it's oh. hugely exciting. Great stuff happening. Let's hope that that we can keep keep on track, given all the other stuff that's going on in the world and supply chain disruption and, and everything else. But I, I don't think we need to rush this, to be honest. I think there's great stuff already. Indeed. I, I love that answer. Yeah, I think that's great. Casper, man, this was this incredible conversation. Thank you so much for being here. No, oh, I appreciate it, Jeremy. I really enjoyed it. So thank you as well. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalize messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.